from the Center for European Reform. This is the CEA podcast. It is a critical moment. If we do not act with urgency, we would then severely undermine the liberal order. Brexit means Brexit, and we're going to make a success of it. The wind is back in Europe's sails. We have now a window of opportunity, but it will not stay open forever. Welcome to the CR podcast and hello from Brussels. I'm Camille Mortera Martinez, a senior research fellow and the CR's Spanish resident, as you might have guessed by my accent. I'm taking over the CR's podcast today to talk to our own Luigi Scazzieri about the Eastern Mediterranean. Good afternoon, Luigi. Good afternoon, Camille. Today, we are here to discuss the escalating situation in the Eastern Mediterranean. As climate draws so close, as you all very well know, tensions are still heating up in that part of the world. A number of dangerous military incidents between Turkey, France and Greece has raised the risk of conflict in the region. As if the world was not scary enough right now. Luigi, what's happening in the Eastern Med? Should we worry? Um, well, I mean, as, as to being worried, I think we should. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, there have been several uh, quite uh, dangerous military uh, incidents. And, you know, well, of course, none of them have led to conflict yet. Conflict is a possibility if, if they escalate. Uh, the heart of the matter really is that Turkey's seeking to lay claims to large areas of the Mediterranean and uh, the gas resources that were discovered uh, on, on the seabed about 10 years ago. Now, of course, in theory, these discoveries could benefit everyone. In practice, they have actually driven conflict. The reason for that being that Turkey has been excluded from uh, the development of these resources because it has poor relations with all uh, its neighbors, and it has become more and more assertive in um, advancing what it sees as its interests. Um, by sending its ships in uh, waters that the EU, as well as Greece and Cyprus and pretty much everyone else in the region considers to be Greek or Cypriot. Um, and, and Turkish actions have become, have, have increased in intensity as neighbours have increased cooperation to exploit gas resources, especially after um, countries in the region agreed to build a pipeline from, from Cyprus to Italy earlier this year. But having said all this, it's not that the conflict is just about gas. I mean, gas is one of the reasons, but at this stage, I'm not even sure that it is the main one. Uh, there's also a perception in Turkey uh, that uh, the country is being encircled by, by regional rivals and that it, uh, what it is doing are actions that improve its security position. Uh, for Turkish President Erdogan, these are, of course, also a useful distraction from uh, economic difficulties and a way to fragment the opposition. And, of course, there's also ambition. Uh, ambition to establish Turkey as a major uh, power in the region and one which is uh, um, fully uh, independent of the West and, and not tied, uh, tied to it any longer. Um, and, you know, so of course Turkey has advanced these claims, it sends ships to drill for resources, it sends ships to prevent other countries from doing so, and it's also carried out some military maneuvers in, as I said, waters that uh, no one else sees uh, as being Turkish. And, uh, and, of course, Greece has responded by strengthening its own military presence, and so has France. Um, and, of course, there has also been increasing divisions within the European Union about how to deal with Turkey. Yeah, and, and let's talk about these divisions. How has the European Union really responded to Turkey's uh, moves? 
So Turkey's relationship with the EU is, is essentially frozen. Accession talks are, have long been frozen, as well as uh, more pragmatic attempts to rekindle cooperation, for example, uh, by negotiating visa-free travel to the European Union, mo- modernizing the, the EU-Turkey Customs Union. All these have been blocked as a result of the deterioration of uh, uh, democracy in Turkey. And last year, the European Union imposed a partial arms embargo Uh, on Turkey as a result of its uh, operation in northern Syria against the Kurds there. And in early 2020, the EU followed this up with sanctions on some uh, officials from Turkey's national oil company for its drilling in Cyprus's exclusive economic zones. But uh, but now the EU is split. So in essence, Greek, uh, Greece, Cyprus and France want a much tougher stance. They want additional sanctions on Turkey and um There is also some talk, of course, of of ending Turkey's uh, accession negotiations to the European Union. And it seems to me as if uh, Macron in particular has come to view Turkey as a threat to French interests in the eastern Mediterranean and the broader regions, but also to the European Union and and to NATO itself. And uh, it's important to remember, I think, that, of course, his comments on NATO allegedly being brain dead referred to the lack of coordination concerning uh, Turkey's intervention in Syria. So France has been very uh, ready to back uh, Greece and Cyprus, it sent its navy, but but other member states have been uh, more cautious. And why is that? Why why have they been more cautious? And who has been more cautious? Which which countries are we talking about? Yeah, so, you know, both both of our countries, both Italy and Spain, and, and of course Germany, which is uh, you know, very often... Uh, quite cautious in, in foreign policy. And I think that the line of thinking has, has several strands, really. On one hand, there's the, um, the idea that sanctions uh, may not actually achieve their intended aim, in the sense that for the Turkish government, these appear to be core interests. So instead of fostering de-escalations, uh, the sanctions could actually push Turkey to be uh, even more assertive. Of course, you know, economically, they would hurt Turkey a lot, but also the European Union, uh, the European businesses and so on. And the political context in Turkey also matters in the sense that there is a feeling that after the 2019 local elections, the opposition has become stronger, uh, Erdogan has becoming weaker. And in this context, sanctions would only allow the government to, um, to foster anti-Western, anti-European feeling in public opinion. And of course... Uh, There's also uh, Turkey's membership in NATO, uh, the fact that uh, it is seen as as a strategic, very important country that is important to keep uh, within the tent and uh, not um, ostracize further in case it might complicate uh, NATO's uh, defense planning. And and of course, there is uh, also the the migration uh, aspect. Yeah, let me actually interrupt you there. Uh, the European Union, well, Germany and the Netherlands actually, went to great pains to close the 2016 migration deal with Turkey. Uh, we've, we've written uh, quite, a, quite a lot about it, uh, uh, both of us. Um, this deal supposedly ended the European Union's migration crisis, although, again, the CR um, has written a lot of it and not necessarily been the case. Um, but one thing that we did say from the beginning was that the deal was going to be fragile, and this, I think, proves uh, its fragility. Uh, you've r- uh, rightly said um, recently that um, Turkey has encouraged thousands of migrants to cross into Greece, and that the European Union has not lived up 
uh, really to its part of the of the bargain. It's not uh, fulfilled some promises um, that it made. Um, so how does the deal, uh, the migration deal, so touted around uh, this town and uh, national capitals um, back in, in, in its day, uh, fit into this whole mess, I would say? So, yeah, I mean, as you said, I, I don't think the deal ever worked as, as intended. And it perhaps was less important than many people thought. But nevertheless, policymakers do think Turkish cooperation is important in keeping the situation under control, or at least also until very recently, in the sense that Turkey in March, uh, you know, engineered what Greece and, and many policymakers in Brussels and in Europe saw as an assault on the Greek border. Uh, and this was in response to a feeling that the EU had not lived up to its promises, to the fact that the money originally granted was running out, and that. Turkey wanted more EU support uh, in Syria. And now the situation has calmed down somewhat, largely due to, uh, to the COVID pandemic. So that actually arrivals, despite this decrease in Turkish cooperation, arrivals in Greece are lower so far than they were last year. And the Commission has quietly approved around 500 million new euros in, in funding for refugees in Turkey. Uh, you know, there remains a feeling of of overall instability, I'd say, and a fear that, especially in Germany, a fear that Turkey could respond to any uh, broader deterioration in relations by pushing migrants again towards Europe. And of course, not only now from Turkey itself, but potentially also from areas under its influence in Libya, although that's more uh, debatable whether it has the, the influence. But, but having said all this, I think actually, no, migration is one of the areas where the sides really do have some interests in common and where it might be possible to move forward and indeed in the EU's interest to try to reach a more sustainable new bargain so that refugees in Turkey are properly cared for. And I mean, it, it is important to remember, I think, that the money that the EU uh, earmarked for the deal didn't actually go to the Turkish government, but rather to funding programmes to uh, support refugees. And one question that pops uh, pops into mind when when talking about this, you 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 just said that uh, you know Germany has been cautious as it often is when it comes to foreign policy. Uh, yet, Hekmat uh, has been in Ankara. He's been trying to um, sort of like ease the tensions. So Germany has invested itself with some sort of a mediator role. Um, obviously, Germany has the, the presidency of the European Council at the moment, but do you think that perhaps uh, the refugee deal has um, something to do with Germany's uh, attempts to ease the tensions and, and to be a little bit um, seen as the mediator since uh, Germany spends so much political capital on this deal? So, yes, that's, that's very true that Germany has been taking on the role as lead mediator, in a sense, playing good cop to, to French uh, you know, to France's bad cop. This has caused a lot of tension with Greece, uh, by the way, in the sense that, uh, that they think that they haven't received enough European solidarity from Germany and there's no point in being an impartial mediator when you're actually faced with an aggression to EU member states. That is the Greek argument. Uh, I, I think there's a range of reasons why Germany wants to mediate. Uh, it's always tried. If you remember, I actually always like to think back to the, to the Ukraine crisis when... Uh, when thinking of the Eastern Mediterranean, that Germany was, of course, the leading voice in favour of dialogue back then as well, and really it wanted to exhaust any option for diplomacy before it switched to uh, to being favourable to sanctions on Russia, in this case, Turkey. I mean, Germany sees Turkey's behaviour 
in many ways is unacceptable, but it also hopes that dialogue can diffuse tensions and get Greece and Turkey to uh, to agree to some kind of deal. I mean, there is a feeling, by the way, that Greek maritime claims in the Mediterranean aren't necessarily the final uh, the final word on this, and that Turkey may well actually get some of its uh, some of what it wants, but only some, and of course only as part of a negotiation without pressure. But um, yes, going back to your original question, in Germany, migration is, is one of the reasons the economy and the, the desire to keep good relations with Turkey and to avoid conflict in the Mediterranean. Right. Well, I think I think there's a lot to be said about um, Germany becoming some sort of a silent uh, diplomat uh, in the face of, 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 you know, like perhaps a more diminishing um, sort of UK and, and US uh, diplomatic network at the moment. I, I think that's, that makes for a very interesting podcast, by the way. Uh, so we might want to think about it. Um, but to, 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 to wrap up um, on this, on this uh, particular question of the Eastern Mediterranean, what do you think the prospects are going ahead? Do you think the European Union will impose more sanctions on Turkey? Should, should it actually impose more sanctions? Uh, so, I mean, just to come back briefly, by the way, fascinating last point that you made. I think one of the reasons why we are in the position that we are now is that the U.S. has not been much more active uh, in, in the past. You know, when in, in crises between Greece and, and Turkey, the U.S. took a very active role and uh, you know, successfully. Now, Germany is trying so far with, with less success, but nevertheless playing a, a very important role. Uh, as, as the sanctions, I mean, they were very recently discussed and right now there is no consensus uh, consensus for uh, economic sanctions on Turkey. I think some individuals will be added to the list of uh, individuals sanctioned. But, uh, but consensus is building up for sanctions within the European Union very slowly. Uh, again, I think it's important to perhaps think of what was happening in the summer of 2014, the Ukraine crisis. Our member states were very divided on sanctions initially, then gradually, as it became clearer and clearer that what Russia doing, was doing was was an acceptable consensus uh, built up. And similarly here, if the more Turkey continues with its uh, current course of action, the likelier it is that the EU will actually slowly shift towards sanctions. You, as you rightly say, uh, the, 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 the consensus sort of like builds up uh, slowly on U- in the Ukraine, but um, we need a major incident, uh, so the shutting down of a plane, uh, in order for the European Union to move. Do we need an incident like this with Turkey? Are we can expect uh, some sort of like, I don't know, claim or reprint or something like that uh, for the European Union to actually move? Or do you think that uh, sort of this, this uh, underwater tensions are, and <laughs> underwater for real, um, are actually enough uh, for, for them to... Yeah, really interesting. And of course, it's debatable. Would the European Union have sanctioned Russia without the downing of MH17? Perhaps, but perhaps much later. And here, of course, I did, uh, you know, choose my words quite carefully in the sense that the chances will increase. But again, unless Turkey crosses a red line, which would be, for example, exploring near near Crete, uh, I, I do think, you know, the EU will move slowly on this. Uh, and of course, a shift in the US position uh, could could also be one of the triggers for a tougher EU stance. For instance, I mean, Biden, were he to be elected would be far less uh, tolerant of uh, of Turkey's uh, current policy in the eastern Mediterranean, I think. But, um, you know, 
more broadly, where, where is this going to end up, I think? And we have to consider, I think, whether there are incentives uh, on Erdogan to, to de-escalate, and that's not an easy question to answer in the sense that so far he's tended to up the stakes when the economy was in crisis as it is now. And it is very difficult to back down when you're advancing such maximalist claims. So I'm not sure how much interest there is in, in actually solving the, um, the dispute. Uh, and, and as I said before, sanctions in this kind of context, it's not exactly easy to see how they would play out in the sense that while they would be intended to push Turkey towards de-escalation, there is actually a chance that they will simply make matters worse, at least in the short term. Um, so, you know, ho- hopefully uh, calls for dialogue will prevail and Erdogan will step back from the brink. I mean, this is brinkmanship. He's prepared to perhaps risk conflict. I don't think he wants it. Uh, one could hope that new uh, Turkey has recently discovered some gas deposits in the in the Black Sea. One could hope that they might ease tensions, although, as I said, the dispute is not uh, mainly. I mean, gas is one of the elements, but not uh, dispute is not primarily about gas. So looking ahead, I think EU-Turkey relations will be characterized you know, by, by more confrontation, yet also hopefully a renewed strand of cooperation on, on migration. And, you know, in an ideal world, dialogue would, of course, lead to um, an agreement over disputes um, concerning maritime zones, but also an agreement to share gas resources in the region in a way that... Um, that diffuses conflict, but we'll we'll have to see. I mean, in the meantime, unfortunately, we'll both uh, have to cope with uh, with quite a lot more of brinkmanship. I think. Yeah. Well, let's end uh, on that ideal world's note, since we are living uh, in what can be uh, classified as the farthest from uh, an ideal world uh, one can have at the moment. What with uh, you know, like a, a global pandemic and all that. This is the CUI podcast. Every four nights, we explore different topics, bringing to you um, our research um, life. And of course, if you want to know more about this uh, topic, and if you want to dig a little bit deeper, uh, and perhaps find some gas as well, <laughs> you can go um, to stia.eu uh, and read uh, Luigi's latest pieces uh, on the Eastern Mediterranean and Turkey. Uh, he's written extensively about it, given several interviews, um, so you've got a lot of material uh, in there if you have um, an interest in, on this topic or any other topic um, for what matters. And I just want to thank you a lot uh, for listening, and please do subscribe to our podcast from your usual podcast provider. And as usual, we welcome your feedback. Um, and I just have to say bye uh, from Brussels. Goodbye, Luigi. Goodbye, Camino. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the CEA podcast. If you have any feedback for us or want to leave suggestions for a future episode, then you can find us on Twitter at CEA underscore EU.